We would like to welcome you this morning to Mission Bible Fellowship as Pastor Stuart Guthrie brings a message from God's Word. We hope it challenges, encourages, and strengthens your walk with the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning before we get in the Word. Father, your Word is truth. And Lord, sometimes, as Bill said, it's difficult to preach your Word when we go verse by verse, God, there's not too much we can hide. And Lord, you lay it out there and, and you say all Scripture is inspired by God and, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness so that the man and woman of God may be adequately equipped for all good work. And Lord, we just pray as we work through your Word, Lord, even when it is tough, God, that you give us the ability to see what it is that you are communicating to us through your word. For we know it's true and it's pleasing and it's honoring to you to preach the full counsel of the word of God. And so this morning I pray as we go through these uh, verses today in the book of Second Peter, Lord, that you would be honored, that you would be glorified, and Lord, that it would be pleasing in your sight and ask that you fill me, that you empower me with the Holy Spirit, that I might speak the truth of your word, and we ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we've been working through the book of Second Peter. Most of you know that we've been in this study now for about eight weeks, and we're coming up to the end here. Hopefully, in the next few weeks, we'll be getting out of this book and into another if the Lord wills or if He tarries. And throughout this book, He simply uh, wants to warn those Christians of that time and the Christians of the day to watch out for pseudo-Christians. Now you say, what does pseudo mean? Well, if you remember from uh, chapter 2, verse 1, uh, he used the terminology false prophets and false teachers. Uh, in the Greek, it's pseudo-prophetes um, uh, and pseudo-didoctalos. That means fake uh, fake prophets and fake teachers. And so we are called in this book to be warned to watch out against those that would arise, especially in our day and in the days to come as we draw closer to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And really this warning is not only for us to watch out for these types of people, but also a warning to us to not become this kind of people. To watch out for our teaching. To watch out our instruction. So that we don't become like a false teacher or pseudo-Christian. And we are watching in a day when error is upon error and is coming about in our day. And so it's important for us to understand the characteristics that Peter will bring to light in these few verses this morning. And so we can check out the teachers that are teaching in our day and also check out ourselves. You know, as I studied through this, I had to ask myself, and I wonder if you've asked yourself, why is Peter so determined to teach us about these pseudo-Christians that will arise in our day, that arose in his day, but that will arise in our day? And as I studied that question, I had to look at Scripture and it took me to Ezekiel chapter 33, 1-6 where Peter understands the Old Testament. He, he's not as surprised to him the Old Testament. But in Ezekiel chapter 33, it talks about, if you uh, write that down, you can look at it later, but it talks about a watchman that was called to be put into position to watch for danger. And there in Ezekiel 33, they are, they are put into place so that when trouble comes, they can blow their trumpet to warn the people that there is an enemy coming. And in there in, verse, in, in chapter 33, what we find is that it says, those watchmen that blow the trumpet to warn against the faults or the, or the enemies that were coming in, if those people failed to listen to that warning, if they were cut down by the sword, their blood was on their own head. But it also goes to say that if a watchman fails to blow the trumpet, if he fails to warn his people of the danger that is coming, 
and the sword comes upon His people, then the blood of those people will be on the watchman's head. And so Peter is wanting to encourage. He's wanting to scream and shout, warning, watch out. And that's what he's doing here in 2 Peter. He's blowing the trumpet of warning. Those false teachers, he's wanting us to understand, they will entice you to buy into their ways. And our protection is the Word of God. And we, as pastors and teachers, should always blow the trumpet of the warnings that given in Scripture so that we will not be held responsible for those that fail to hear. And so with that in mind, let us look at our text of Scripture today. If you will, turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 2. And we'll be looking at verses 10 to 16. Now while you turn there, let me by way of reminder bring up what we've gone over the last several weeks that we've been in this chapter. If you remember the first major section that we looked at, number one was avoiding false teachers by understanding faith. And that faith, remember, was in a person. That's Jesus Christ. Uh, The second thing was to remember that the faith in the works that Jesus Christ did when He said, I've given you everything you need pertaining to life and godliness so that we could persevere. And so the next thing we looked at was the faith in our perseverance. And then we looked at, at avoiding false teachers by understanding the Word of God, understanding the Scriptures, and how we've noticed and how we've seen that, that we have been given something made even more than made more valuable than experiences, and that's the Word of God. And then thirdly, we looked at avoiding false teachers by understanding those false teachers, seeing a description of them. And so, three weeks ago, we looked at understanding false teachers through their destructive heresies. And last week, we looked at understanding false teachers in their destructive judgments. And so we saw last week that that these pseudo-Christians, these false teachers, would receive the wrath of God. And then secondly, we looked at true Christians will receive the rescue from God. And we saw in those three historical events that unfolded about the fallen angels, about Noah and the flood, and about Lot and the Sodom and Gomorrah. And it was an encouragement to see in, in most of those events, in the midst of wrath, God rescues His people. And so this week we're going to be looking at understanding false teachers and their destructive characteristics. So he begins in the first of chapter 2 with with some descriptions about false teachers. And then he goes into their judgment. Now he's going to come back again into those descriptions. And let me tell you, this passage is like negative after negative after negative after negative. And I just want to warn you, you know, Tom came up to me this morning and he goes, man, I, I'm going to be praying for you. I just read through the chapter or the verse this morning that you're going to be preaching on and I'm praying for you. And so listen, in spite of the negatives, please understand the, the encouragement is that we are not to become false teachers and that we're not to be false teachers and that we're to watch out for false teachers. And if God convicts your heart through this message, then I would encourage you to respond to Him. Respond to Him because while God is a God that's a judgmental God. He will judge the sins of mankind. He is a gracious and compassionate God that loves you so much that He sent Jesus Christ that we might have eternal life. And so in the midst of that, He really, we see in the first chapter, gives an overriding description that mainly deals with holy living in the Christian's life. And in the second chapter, he's dealing mainly with the heresies that will happen during the Christian's life. And so if you will, follow with me. The book of 2 Peter, chapter 10, verses 10, or chapter 2, verses 10 to 16. It says, Daring, self-willed, They do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties, whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, will in the destruction of those creatures be destroyed." 
Suffering wrong is the wages of doing wrong. They count it pleasure to revile in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, reviling their deceptions as they carouse with you, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaken the right way, they have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam the son of Beor, who have loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he received a rebuke for his own transgression, for a mute donkey speaking with the voice of man restrained the madness of this prophet. There are a few characteristics within this passage that I want to look at today. The first point that I want to make is we see the character of the false teacher in their attitude. Secondly, we see the character of the false teachers in their behavior. So the first thing we'll look at is we see, number one, the character of false teachers in their behaviors. Peter here begins to, to follow there the second half of verse 10. By saying these pseudo-Christians are daring. They are self-willed. They do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. And right off the bat, uh, they begin, we begin to see the attitude of these fake teachers. They are first off daring. Now daring simply means bold. They are very bold as they teach or they hold to a stance. They take stances, if you remember, based off of their opinion, not the Word of God. And this is what we learned back in, the, in, in chapter 2, verse 1 when we went through this. As they introduced, remember, destructive heresies. They had self-willed opinions that were placed over the Word of God instead of under the Word of God. And however, uh, not only are they introducing these things, they're doing it boldly, as if it's the Word of God. The rebelliousness of these pseudo-Christians is communicated with two Greek words that represent bold and arrogant. Ptolemites and Althades. Two Greek words that mean arrogant and bold, and if you put them together, you can say they were boldly arrogant. Now, as I studied this passage, I had to turn the mirror on me as a teacher, as a preacher of the Word. Because as I read this at face value, what I saw was here, was it wrong to be bold? Because as a teacher, I'm pretty bold when I preach with assurance. But as I preach with boldness and assurance, I hope that I never preach with arrogance. Because arrogance, listen, is rooted in self. Boldness is rooted in the Word of God. We can, as Christians, be bold in our faith. We can teach truth as it is really truth because it's rooted in the Word of God. But what we find here is something different. We find something interesting that these men were doing something different. They were bold in their own opinion. They were bold in their own arrogance. Isaiah the prophet was bold. We see that in Romans chapter 10 verse 20. Proverbs 28.1 says, The righteous are as bold as a lion. King David, a man after God's own heart, said, One day, on the day that I called you, you answered me, and you made me bold in my strength and in my soul. Psalm 138.3 I like my pastor's message to me as I text him. And I said, how can we study this passage, Carl, and not feel like we are the very false teachers? Because in the time and in the culture we live in, to say this is the very truth of God's Word is to be considered arrogant. And he responded this way, Pastor Carl said, and I quote, Boldness is not self-generated as in arrogance. Boldness comes from a clear conscience. 
deep-rooted biblical convictions and a Spirit-filled life. Now, as a pastor, that was helpful for me. And I hope as a Christian, that's helpful for you. Because many times when we share our faith, when we're bold about the truth, when we stand that God truly flooded the earth, that He truly built the, the earth in six literal days, they will say, you're crazy. Even in this passage, when we say, the donkey spoke to Balaam, they will say, you really believe a donkey spoke? Well, of course. The kids and I were watching a movie last night and this parrot yep, 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 was speaking. If a parrot can speak, God can make a donkey speak. If He can build the earth from nothing, He can make a donkey speak. He created them. So yes, I can believe literal. But you will be found difficult when you begin to be boldness. But boldness is not self-generated as arrogance is. Now think about the apostles as they sought God's help. We are told there in chapter 4 of Acts verse 31, it says, And when they had prayed, they, the, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak the Word of God with what? Boldness. None of us should ever be arrogant. That doesn't mean we can't be confident as Christians that the Word of God is truth and that when we communicate it to a lost world that we can't be confident. Because confidence should always be based off the Word of God. And arrogance is just the opposite. It's based off of self-willed opinions. And so I ask you as I ask myself... Can you say that this morning? That your confidence is rooted in the very Word of God? Or is it in your self-willed opinion? And I think so often as I am challenged by different theological beliefs, sometimes I find myself with self-willed opinions. And there's nothing more painful than somebody coming to you with the Word of God that you can't defend with the Word of God. It's tough. But we are called not to be arrogant, but to study, to be approved workmen so that we can be bold in our faith. But here there is something different that must be considered, I think. These, remember, are false teachers. These are not Christians. These are pseudo-Christians, fake Christians, that are standing up teaching as if they have some kind of spiritual authority. They are so arrogant and in their boldness that in their own humanistic reasoning, their own self-willed opinion that causes divisions within the household of God. That's what we looked at in chapter 2, verse 2. That's why it's vital that we don't become arrogant, that we become bold in our faith through the Word of God. You know, as, as we had men's breakfast yesterday and, and it was a great opportunity to fellowship, to hang out and talk, but we watched a video about worldviews and what the worldview was. And we noticed that many times in our culture that we have syncretism. We mix a little bit of this with a little bit of this and we throw it together and we call it Christianity when we can't do that. And so what we see here is that's why it's important for us to hold a biblical worldview. Because if our understanding is based off of the Word, it's a good biblical worldview. But if it's not, we can become arrogant in ourselves and make bold statements that are not found in the truth of God's Scripture. And each one of us, listen this morning, I want us to understand, each one of us, including myself, including the elders, including the deacons, including every servant in this church, is capable of doing that. It is one easy thing for us to do as Christians is to stand on something based off of tradition or human experience and not be founded in the Word of God. And what we do in that, that it, we hold not a, world, a, a biblical worldview, but a worldview that is not biblical. And so we have to be careful. We have to be weary of making sure that our judgments are based off of Scripture. He says here that 
They are daring. They are bold. They are self-willed. They're not fearful. They have no fear. It says this, They do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. This arrogance, listen, it goes so far against uh, themselves that they begin to defile these glorious ones. Now here the word that's translated angelic majesty is doxe. It's the Greek word that means glory. Okay, It's a very difficult translation to bring into English and understand exactly what he means. And so this word can mean a few different things. And as we study and we look, I think we can come to a conclusion of what, what it, what's being translated. But it can mean a couple things. One thing it can mean is that it can mean human authorities. And so they revile human authorities, whether that be either religious authorities or civil authorities. It can mean angels, which the New American Standard and most other translations translate angels. It also can mean demons, those fallen angels. The new, uh, the new International Version, the NIV, provides an interpretation here since the word glories could refer to human beings, either the church or, or civil authorities. They lean towards that a little more. Now for me, it's very tempting to hold this view. It's very tempting to, to say I think it's dealing with authorities. Because it's very easy to preach that message. Because in our time and in our culture, we live in a time when nobody wants to be under authority. Nobody wants to be told right from wrong or, or what to do and what not to do. It's, 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 it preaches well and it's easy to convict the hearts of people. So it could be Leaders. It could be religious leaders such as elders, deacons, or it could be presidents in our nation. We could all be guilty, right, of lashing out against the authority God has placed over us. It's easy, right? I don't know about you, but it's easy for me. There is a time and a place, I believe, to expose biblical, uh, unbiblical truth. But I don't think we're ever to revile, we're never to blaspheme those people. I had to ask forgiveness before I preached this message. Because, you know, as a, as a Christian, as a citizen of this country, it's hard for me to sit back and watch what's happening in our country without lashing out, without reviling the leadership in our country. And so I had to ask God, forgive me, Lord, because I've done it. I've lashed out against our president. I've reviled him. And so I've had to ask forgiveness. And I would say this morning, if you've done it, if you've lashed out against the authority that's been placed over you, whether it's in the religious realm, or whether it's in the, in the government, the civil realm, police office, whatever the case may be, then we need to ask for forgiveness and begin to move forward as we get new information. One commentator said this, Peter is probably saying this, that false teachers with overinflated views of themselves are not afraid to speak against God's angels. Why do you think he says that? Well, because it could mean angels, right? We'd already discussed that. And I think personally, though, though, though I'm not 100% positive, I feel like the context of verse 11 really explains to us that he's talking about angels here. Peter's speaking about angels. And he even goes as far as to say, these that over-inflated over views of themselves are not afraid to speak against God's angels, or, or even perhaps God Himself. They seem to make light of the unseen spiritual powers and at the same time speak disrespectfully to these celestial beings, and they are guilty of dismissing spiritual activities in the realm of angels. Now again, I'm not 100% of what's happening here. The text, as far as I can see, does not tell us why they are doing it. We don't get everything in Scripture that we want to get. But the simple fact is, is that they are doing it. They are reviling 
They are rejecting the authority with boldness, with selfish ambition, without fear. And we see these false teachers slandering angels and or authorities. Their arrogance is such that they would even revile and blaspheme angels or angelic beings or celestial people. Now, one thing that I found interesting as I studied this was that during that time period, there were many who did not believe in angels. They, they didn't believe that angels existed. They thought it was a myth. And, and so they would call it the superstition of man. And so they could have been those false teachers reviling uh, things they didn't believe in when they truly existed in their own ignorance. They didn't understand that they existed. And we'll learn as we go through about them not having knowledge. They reviled in things they didn't understand. And so that's what we see. We see there that in verse 11, it seems to make it very clear that whatever they were doing, they weren't supposed to be doing it. He says, Whereas angels who are greater in might and in power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. Now, I think it's talking about fallen angels, demons. And here in this verse, there seems to be godly angels that are more powerful in might and in strength. And then you have these fallen demons. But even they had respect, those, those angels that were servants of the Lord Jesus. And they had a respect for those fallen angels, more so than even the false teachers of this time. Let's jump over to Jude for a moment. If you will, look at Jude with me. Jude, if you don't know where it's at, just flip over three or four pages typically in your Bible and you'll hit Jude. It's the end of 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. Or hit Revelations, come back one book. Okay? Jude is, is a parallel book typically on some things to Peter. 2nd Peter. And that's what we saw. That's why we read Jude 8-11 through 11 this morning. But here we see while, while Jude parallels 2 Peter, he also adds something that I think will begin to clear this up for us. In Jude 8 and 9 it says, Yet in the same way these men also by dreaming defile the flesh, reject authority, and revile angelic majesties. Here we give, we're given three of the same things we're given in 2 Peter in areas in which they struggle. They defiled the flesh... They rejected authority and they reviled angelic beings. But he adds something to the verse that helps us better understand it as he says, listen, <clears throat> but Michael, Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. The angels do not even speak after false teachers or even Satan himself, the leader of them all. But yet we are told that these false speakers, these false teachers, these pseudo-Christians were speaking against these angelic majesties. And how arrogant would that be considered? These teachers that that think they know about God, but they don't even know about God, they revile. And whether it's angels or the leadership, whatever God had planned, we need to make sure and understand that God knows what He's doing when He places leaders in authority, in position, when He casts those angels down from heaven. He knew what He was doing. There is a lesson for all of us to remember here, and that is God expects us. We do know this. God expects us because He's speaking out against unbelievers, false teachers, so that would pre-assume that we as Christians should all fall under the authority of the church leadership, the government, and have respect for angelic beings. If we just teach them all three, we cover them all. Even if I'm wrong, I'm teaching both of them. And so, but we do know that we should do that as Christians. And a side note here is, have you ever wondered why the archangel Michael was fighting over the body of Moses? Pretty interesting. I've got a conclusion. Maybe sometime you want to talk about it, we'll discuss it. But we haven't got time to go into it now. 
Let's go back to 2 Peter. These false teachers have rejected authority. They were boldly arrogant. They were fearless. They were reviling demons. And remember, these are not true Christians. These are fakes and phonies. And they are making judgment against evil angels. They don't even understand that one day they will be with them in the lake of fire. And yet they're reviling them. That's very bold. And so we want to make sure that we watch out for these kind of pseudo-Christians and also to make sure that we stay away from them for they are not good for either of us. So we have seen false teachers, their characters, and they're found in their attitudes. But secondly, we see the character of false teachers in their behavior. Now I chose the word behavior here in the second point because Peter is, is, is communicating under the surface two different types of nature. Two different types of gnosko, knowledge. There is spiritual knowledge and there is natural knowledge. There is spiritual knowledge, those that are found in Jesus Christ that have been indwelt with the Holy Spirit, that can think and see and hear things of the Spirit, and those that are still naturally in the flesh that are not followers of Jesus Christ, that can only indulge in fleshly lust. So he wants to teach us about two of those things. He says this, But like these... Like unreasoning animals born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. Okay? But these, he starts out, these false teachers, Peter compares them to animals. What is it about these animals that he compares a false teacher to? Well, a false teacher is much like an animal that is unreasoning. Secondly, a false teacher, much like an animal, is a creature of instinct. And lastly, a false teacher, much like an animal, is to be captured and killed. Now, I want to set the stage here before I get roasted up here. Okay? Trust me, I thought about this a lot before I spoke. I want you to understand I love animals. I like animals. My kids like animals. And Scripture even teaches us that we should respect animals. Proverbs 12.10 says, A righteous man has regarded for his life, for the life of his animal. In Matthew 10.29, he even says, That are not two sparrows bought for a penny, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? Listen, God created animals. He cares for them, and so should we. So don't get your ear full and think that I have no regard for animals because that's not the case. I do. Because I like animals. I don't like all animals. Some, some dogs are mean and, and they just, it's just not right. But anyways, I say that because I know a lot of you love animals. Okay, And this, this message is not about animals. But please understand, he's making a comparison in what's said here is Scripture, not me. Okay? And so he says, but these men revile things. Which they do not understand. And the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoned animals, by these they are destroyed. Peter is teaching us something about comparison here. He wants to compare natural to spiritual. False teachers are first compared to animals that are irrational without reasoning power and they do not have the ability to reason. Turn with me if you will to the book of Jude chapter verse 10. It reminds us again it says, "But these men revile things in which they do not understand and things which they are like unreasoning animals, and by these things they are destroyed. What we see happening here now is in Jude is, is he is about to unravel the very consequences of these false teachers' acts. He, namely in their destruction. They live not in the spiritual, 
but in the natural state of their flesh and in their sin. And Peter says, they revile where they have no knowledge. They speak out. Jude speaks out against these things. What is he saying? Flip back to 2 Peter, verse 12. He said, but these, like unreasoning animals, they are compared to an animal that cannot reason. Their reasoning is based off of their fallen nature. Their natural knowledge. And so really they have no concern about speaking out against things they don't know about. You know how easy it is to speak against things that you truly don't believe exist? Pretty easy. But the Word of God tells us what's true. The Word of God tells us what exists. But these people were speaking out against things they had no clue about. They were speaking against spiritual things when they're still living in the flesh. He says this, they were born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed. They possess only a natural knowledge which an animal also possesses. And natural knowledge as such will eventually lead to destruction. One commentary says it this way, And I thought he handled it well. He said, Animals lack the power of reasoning that man possesses. And thus they rely on created instinct. When God created animals, He gave them instinct. Meeting the necessity for daily existence. That's what they have instinct for. So that they can survive. And although this innate quality guides and directs them, nevertheless, they run the risk of being caught and destroyed by man or beast. Animals are hunted. Animals are sought after. Not, not every animal. We've domesticated most of these animals that we have as pets. But in the, in the real world, in God's creation... After the flood, they were there to be what? Part of the food chain. They feed on each other. Listen, it doesn't take but one trip into the wilderness and you figure that out quick because you're part of the food chain. At least I was when I walked up on that bear. It wasn't fun. This is what these false teachers do. They support trying to, to save baby wolves. But they won't fight against saving babies in the womb. Animals don't have the fellowship with God like humans have fellowship with God. And while we, the teachers, preach the Word from a spiritual realm, they were doing it from an unspiritual realm, and they were reviling where they have no knowledge. And in the destruction of those creatures, also be destroyed. Suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. Those fakes will be like the creatures, also destroyed. And the suffering that they will suffer will be because they have earned their wage. Just like for the wages of sin is death. When you go to work during the week, you earn a wage. Sin is the wage of death. And so these false teachers have earned a wage in doing wrong. Now, they not only act animalistic, but they have immoral behaviors. And Peter continues, they count it pleasure to revile in the daytime. These people were expected to do things at night. Even the pagans expected people to revile at night, to to go out and party, to get drunk, and to to do sexual immoral things. They were to be done at night, even in the pagan society in which they lived. But these people, we find, they count it pleasure to revile within the daytime. These people practice this deceit under the cover of darkness as pagans, but not these false teachers. They were without shame and they did it under the sign of the sun. It says next that these people, they are stains, they are blemishes, reviling their deception as they carouse with you. Now, what's the problem here? 
What's the problem is being stains and blemishes? What that, what that mean? I mean, when I went to the barbecue place the other day and, and I ate there in Missoula, I got a stain on my shirt. Is that what he's referring to? There are stains and blemishes? He's using imagery. He's trying to draw us a picture. Because we as Christians are called the bride of Christ. And we are to be found, what? Spotless and blameless. Not stained in blemishes. But these people were found with just the very opposite. They spread their destructive heresy and it became a defilement within the church of Christ. Jude said, listen, he calls them intruders. They were hidden reefs, it said, in the congregation, whereas Peter emphasized that they were stained and defiled the church. Hey, listen, I'm from the coast. I I spent many of my life in a boat out on the river. And let me tell you, I know about hidden things under the water. And it's just a matter of time. If you don't know where you're at, or if you don't see it there, you're going to run aground. Literally, the Greek word reads, reviling in their deceitfulness while they feast with you. Listen, these people were coming together with these false teachers, not knowing. And when they ate together, these false teachers had plans of self-gratification rather than true fellowship. When they ate together with other believers, most likely, it's it's speaking in the context of eating uh, a meal and at the end having the Lord's table together, they were deceitfully pursuing their own personal pleasures rather than seeking the good of the other. These kinds of people, Scripture says, they are a stain, they are a blemish, and they defile the church. They are evil, and we want to keep watch after these kind of people, but they are sneaky. They're sneaky. And they have eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin. Have you ever thought about it? Their eyes never cease from sin. They can't help it. It's in their nature. They are fallen. They're not... They're not full of the Spirit of God. They're full of their flesh, the nature of sin. And so it's expected. And while in the flesh, they live by the flesh and sin even more. It says that they enticed unstable souls. The word there, deliezo, in the Greek, means to entice. It goes a little deeper than that. It gives the idea... uh, of a fishing and hunting world. It draws the meaning from there. Because as hunters, what do we want to do? Well, coming from South Carolina, we bait deer, okay? We put corn on the ground, the deer come, we kill them. Okay? That's enticing. That's the picture it's trying to draw. It's using, I like to use the word lure because when you go fishing, you put a little worm on there and you dip it and you say, go get it. And you're trying to lure them in. And he says these false teachers, they will try to lure you in to their false teaching, their ways of life. And they will seek after those and they will prey on women. They will prey on men. Don't be surprised, men, that you're the prey. They will, pray, they will pray on new believers. They will pray on people who are going through marital issues. The idea of the lure gives a sensual idea in the original. They will pray on just about any, anybody, any soul that's going through problems in their home. And I don't know about you, but every home has its problems. Every marriage has its issues. And if one of these men or one of these women can see you struggling in your marriage and they can try to provide for you something you're not getting at home, don't think by a shadow of doubt. Their intent is not to lure you in. So beware. They watch and they know they have some kind of special ability to know the people to seek after. And not only are they luring people, but it says they are having a heart trained in greed. They are cursed children. And they again want in your pocketbook. Because they are cursed children set aside for judgment. They are crafty. They don't look like monsters. They don't look like, remember that, that snarling wolf we had up there? And they look like the little wolf sitting dressed in sheep's clothes. They are sneaky. They look innocent. 
But sometimes they just look plain obvious. If we know well enough the pictures of false teachers, we can pick them out very easily. But notice what it says right after it says, forsaking the right way. Listen, these people knew the truth. They had been preached the gospel. They understood how to be saved. They had even maybe tasted the truth of the gospel. Maybe they had come to church. Maybe they had sit under the service and they felt the moving of the Holy Spirit. Maybe they even got a little excited in their life. Oh yes, they knew the plan of salvation, but what they failed to do is know the man of salvation. They have taken the wrong way instead of the right way. They knew the right way, but they chose the wrong way. And I want to tell you this morning, Jesus Christ says, He is the right way. He is the right way. Come to me today, He says. And if you are here today and you've refused to walk in the way of the truth, then I want you to know what the end result will be. He says, it will be destruction. It will not be good. Let me tell you, the Christian life it's a beautiful thing. It's no by any means easy. It does. When you come into Christ, things don't get so much easier. Because now you're no longer walking beside the devil, you're walking against the devil, and now you become an enemy, and life gets kind of tough. Every time I've ever led someone to the Lord Jesus Christ, I said, don't expect fruits and daisies, brother. The enemy is against you now. The enemy is willing to seek and devour anybody he can, especially those Christians. Yes, you can enjoy the life of salvation. You can enjoy the joys of knowing that no matter what happens, we can be in Christ. He will never leave us, nor forsake us, and He can give us a mercy and a grace that when financial times get hard, it's okay. My God's in control. When we lose a loved one, it's okay. I had a brother email me this week from Columbia, South Carolina. His sister died and his wife, uncle died in the same day. They're having financial problems. They're struggling. And all of this boils on. And what I gathered from him was he was still found in his joy. He was still found in the hope of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what life brings us when we have Jesus Christ. Say, bring it on. Let's go. My God is a powerful God and He can't be overcome. He will never leave me nor forsake me. And so today I ask you to choose the way of truth, not the way of error. Verse 15 onward it says, Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. Having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he received a rebuke for his own transgression, for a mute donkey speaking with a voice of man restrained the madness of this prophet. Balaam, a false prophet from the Old Testament that we can read about. Jot it down, Numbers 22 to Numbers 25. You can read it. We don't have time to go over it today. And then add chapter 31 on there too so you can see the end result of this prophet. It's destruction. He was a man of flesh. He was a man of natural desire. He was a man that was moved by the pocketbook or the wallet. And he was a false teacher just like the false teachers of our days. They're moved by the money. Now I'm not saying anything's wrong with money. Please don't get me wrong. Only God knows the heart of man. But if their objective is moved by the dollar, they're in it for the wrong business. They should be in it to serve the Lord Jesus. Balaam was hired by the, by the king Balak. And this king Balak wanted, if you remember, to have Israel cursed. Why? Because they had become so powerful. They had become so strong that, that Balak was scared of them and he was afraid. And so he hired this, this, this 
man Balaam, this false prophet, to come in and call on whomever he needed to call on to judge and curse Israel. But God supernaturally interceded and spoke through him. And every time he tried to reject them, God blessed them. You see, what happens when false teachers come... They are so filled with destructive characteristics that they cannot help but live with the nature of an unbeliever. Balaam was in it for the money. And his very own donkey, his mute, deaf donkey rebuked him. Because, listen, don't miss this, the donkey perceived more of the spiritual realm than he did. And he was supposed to be the prophet. The donkey understood the threat while Balaam was so hung, money hungry that he couldn't think straight. He was unaware of the danger that lay ahead until the angel appeared to him. And then he said, oh, I've sinned. Well, yeah, you sinned, brother. <laughs> it's pretty obvious. The angel's there and he ain't happy. His very own animal discerned the things of God better than he did. You see what happens... These false teachers, they become so entrenched with the financial prosperity of our day. They want to preach prosperity. They want you to make you think you can be rich if you just send your money. And they will pursue you and do whatever it takes. But these teachers, these false Christians, these pseudo-Christians, listen, it teaches they follow the way of Balaam. And they are in the business for money. And really... Anyone who pursues wrongdoing on purpose is really out of his mind. And so that's why it says that the, that the donkey restrained the madness of, his pro, of the prophet. The unrighteous way, listen, leads to judgment. It's always led to judgment. Just read the Old Testament a couple times. The, un, the way of unrighteousness always leads to judgment. But Peter is wanting us to understand while we're not to fall for these phonies, I was encouraged as a pastor to make sure that I don't become this very false teacher. Peter is drawing a clear and clear picture of those pseudo-Christians, those false teachers. And we need to be aware and spot them and make sure that we're not them. And so let us, as we go throughout our week, have boldness in proclaiming the truth of the Word of God and let us live with love for Jesus Christ and serve not for cash, but for Christ and to live for the Lord and not forget the lost. Let us pray this morning.